Backwards pass. That's a live ball. Picked up. Run down the sideline by Joe McKnight. At the 35. Cuts it back across the field to the 50. He's going to go all the way. He's at the 30. 20. No, they're going to catch him. I don't believe that anybody caught Joe McKnight at the 15-yard line. It was a backwards pass, a lateral. It bounced around on the field. McKnight had the presence of mind to pick it up. Nobody else was paying attention. And he scampers all the way to the Illinois 11-yard line. How do you do? fans, it's time to get into the game with the Peristyle Podcast. Every week you can get your Trojan football fix as the uscfootball.com staff brings you the latest on the USC football team and the inside scoop on recruiting. And now, here are your hosts of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey Hyde. Welcome back to the Peristel Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, joined again by the godfather, Harvey Hyde. How are you doing today, Coach? Well, I'll tell you what, when spring practice starts, what do you got to say? You got to tape your ankles, Ryan. I've, I've been taping my ankles. I haven't had to get in the training room yet because we haven't hit anybody. But I'm looking for a hit somewhere. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, spring practice for USC fans, if you didn't know, started on Tuesday, March 25th. Uh, this is episode seven of the Peristyle podcast, by the way. And if you have questions for us, you can always email the show podcast at uscfootball.com. But yeah, spring practice kicked off. There's 15 practice sessions that the coaches get to uh, work with all the players. I, I ran into a former Trojan uh, yesterday coach at practice, uh, John Jackson, great receiver for USC. He also played baseball because he played baseball. He was actually limited uh, to some, you know, some of his spring practices, but he told me he hated spring football. I didn't see the point of it. I've talked to other people that say there's really no point, especially for the starters, like guys like Ray Maluga, like why is he having to participate in spring? What do you think the point of spring football is? And, and, and what did you get out of it as a coach? And what do you think your players got out of it? Well, I tell you, as a player, you really do hate spring practice. And uh, years back, years back, even hated it more because it was 20 days wasn't 15 days and it wasn't half pads and, 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 uh, sh- uh shimble shirts and helmets as it is now it was 20 days of complete hitting, hitting every single day. You hit every single day. And Ouch. that's why John Jackson hated it. Now it isn't hitting every single day. You go full speed, but you've got a limited number of days that you can go in pads and get certain things done. It's a time that they figured you made the football team. You made the football team in the spring and you really found out who could hit or who couldn't hit because during the season sometimes you don't hit as much because you're afraid of injuries. But in the spring, you figured if someone got hurt, they had enough time to get well. Okay, that makes sense. But now, is there a motivation for players like as, as a coach? Was there any times that you would use like the next game as motivation during the fall? What could you use during the spring where there's, you don't have a game for months? Well, I tell you, we, we used to use spring, yes, for the opening football game, and, and really is uh, important when you have a big game. Like SC's had big openers at Arkansas and, and uh, uh, Virginia Tech, and, and this year they're going to uh, Virginia, and then they have Ohio State. So they use that during the entire off season. But that's also dangerous because what happens when you build up a game like Michigan and Notre Dame built up that big opening game a couple of years ago and you lose that game? 
wow, I'll tell you, it takes you two or three weeks to recover from it because you have so much invested in that game as far as your offseason and your camp and everything that it's so important that you win that game. But you have to get ready for the opponent. You, you and I have talked about this. This year they're not opening against Idaho. This year, and, and they cannot play well and still beat Idaho. Don't get me wrong, I'm not putting Idaho down, but assume that they should. They, they were the number one team in the country. But now they're going to Virginia. Virginia's going to be hostile. Virginia's going to say, hey, we want to see, who is this USC? What is this all about? They're coming into our areas and recruiting our players now and so on. So the coach of Virginia is saying, this is our way to get on the map. This is for recruiting. This is everything. This is our bowl game. We're playing for the national championship by playing USC in our opening game. We're not afraid of USC or we wouldn't have scheduled them. So that part of the region, the ACC and the South, they want to see SC down there. So that's why it's so hostile as far as going on the road to those type of areas that love football. So you've got to get your team ready and you've got to motivate them and let them know they're going to face this type of opposition. And the second game after coming back and having a bye, you've got the Big Ten and the team that's played the national championship game two years in a row, Ohio State, which maybe. You might meet again. I'm not saying you'll meet him in the national championship game, but if you both win your conference, you might meet again in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that's definitely so, a possibility. You could see those guys again. And and I, I guess having huge games, like you said, to start the season is good motivation no matter how far away it is. But if you, if you did lose that opening game, do the players feel that every bench press they did and every you know lap around the, the field that they ran where they were thinking about that game, do they think that was all for naught if you end up losing it? Well, it does. Mentally, it really depresses them. I'll give you an example. When I was working with George Allen at Long Beach State, I worked one year with him as associate head coach there. He wanted to open the season against somebody that was really tough, and we needed the money, so we got a big guarantee. And I said, Coach, be careful when you do this. Uh, coach had been in the NFL for years and so on, and you know he was looking at it as a, a preseason game like you do in the NFL. It wasn't a conference game. I said, Coach, be careful when you do this. These kids don't know the difference. They get ready for every game to play. And we work them hard, but he but he went he was the head coach and he went and scheduled Clemson at Clemson, and I said if we go down there, coach, and I, we lose this game and we prepare for a long period of time for this game and we get blown out, our kids are going to be down and flat and think they're no good as they had been in the year before. I think they've won one game or they didn't win a game and so on. I said we're going to be trouble. We're going to have trouble and we got Utah State the second game and that's a league game. And I said, we might lose a league game because our kids are still down and don't get back up as it's on the road again uh, in Logan by, by, by putting too much into this Clemson deal. We go down, play the game, get our check, come home, but then put all our efforts into Utah State. Well, we went down there, and uh, we played them pretty good, but the score didn't indicate that. I think they beat us 60-7 to or, or something like that. And our kids came back like they had just lost a war. They came back and were down and flat. We couldn't get their motivation to play. And the next week we went to Utah State, a game we should have won. Now you say we should have won when we hadn't won. We should have won because we weren't that bad. We went on and went 6-5 and five that year and turned that program around. But we could have been 7-4. and four. We went up there and got beat by a Utah State team because our team was not motivated, didn't believe in themselves, thought the same thing could happen, went on the road again. So it's very important scheduling. It's very important your opening game of the year. It, it really is. So, you know, that just shows you how, 
how scheduling is important and what you put into the opening game and what the results of the opening game is. How about the polls now? You know, you're lucky if you're playing for the national championship. Now, if you lose early, I'm not saying you're lucky. You don't never want to lose. But if you lose early, you have a chance to rebuild your rankings towards the end of the year. So uh, I'll tell you, it, uh, spring ball is very, very important. And, it's, and Pete Carroll is the best at motivating his players and, and telling them what's important and, and talking to them and having fun. And, and spring ball, he asks you to go 100%, but you have more fun out there than you did in the old days when you used to bang, 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 and everybody was cursing at you every minute. <clears throat> and you still knew you didn't have a, another game. You're, that old term, you get tired. <clears throat> excuse me, guys. <clears throat> you get tired of hitting your own color. You really do. You want to look for a different color the opening game of the year, whether it's blue, which it will be next year, blue or, or green or whatever team's color it is. Yeah, I think you're right, though, when you talked about you know, Pete Carroll being the best as far as preparing his guys in the offseason. I mean, I think the record indicates that where he took a brand-new quarterback and went into Auburn, Alabama, and shut that team out. Uh, you know, they went to Arkansas last year or a couple years ago and put up 50 on them, went into Nebraska, a hostile environment, the team that was ranked at the time, you know, blew them out. His, his record for early season out-of-conference games, especially on the road, is impeccable. I don't know if anyone's been able to, to duplicate what he's done. So I think Trojan fans are probably going to be expecting a, a win at Virginia, even though it will be a very tough game with a, you know, a new guy starting at quarterback. Yeah, I agree with you 100% because that team, as I just had mentioned and talked about, right now they've got signs all over their locker room. It's our bowl game. It's our Rose Bowl. Uh, this is our championship game, our opening game of the year. This is going to set the tone of our program and so on. Because they know. These kids are going to get ready. They know that they're playing one of the top teams in the country. And you know when you look at the rankings for this coming year, SC is going to be one through five somewhere in almost every preseason poll somewhere there. Uh, even though they only have four starters back on offense and seven on defense because of the talent that's at USC. So these, these teams play a little scared, get motivated, put their best game together, and really go after the Trojans. And when you watch what happens, normally the second game or the team that plays SC after you play SC, they normally lose the next week. I don't know. I'd like to see you look up that, yeah, like you have all these stats. But I'm going to tell you, after you play USC, normally the next week, that team loses. Yeah, Nebraska, actually, I don't remember the game they played. I should have uh, looked it up for you. But they really struggled, I think, against a very weak. It was Ball State, maybe, that they played the week. I think they won after USC beat them. But it was a really weak effort. And I, I know what you're saying. It, it, it seems like if a, if a team gets up for that, like Virginia this year, uh, they're going to see USC come in rank, say, you know, two or three or something, you know, maybe one. Who knows? Um, a team that lost half its starters, like you said, a team that's going to have a, a new starting quarterback and might come into the game as a like 14-point favorite, you know, 25 miles from home. Who knows? I'm not sure what the Vegas is going to set that line at. But that's got to be motivate, very motivating. And then for them to, if they go out and end up losing, especially if they get crushed, uh, like Pete Carroll's been doing to those kind of teams in the past, you would think they would put them in a, a downward spiral after that. And it'd be really a big letdown to the team that, you know, they didn't think should have been able to come in and to their house and blow them out and end up doing that. No, that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. So that's why it's so important uh, that spring practice prepares the Trojans as well as Virginia's preparing for the Trojans. Both teams are preparing 
as far as getting ready for the opening game of the year, and then you can continue with that momentum. And remember now, SC, this is important that you win your opening game, but you've got to buy the next week. I'll tell you, you, you can't lose an opening game and go into a bye. Wow, you've got to live with that for two weeks, and that's impossible to do. It's not like basketball or baseball where you have a game in two days or you play a series or whatever, and you have a chance to forget it. In football, you want to play right away and erase that memory. So, you know, in opening against Virginia and getting your, your, your win, your opening game, and looking good in your first game and playing on the road in your first game and impressing the nation as far as early commitments and recruits and so on and all of the package above, then coming home and getting ready for Ohio State, you don't have to worry about the, at a bye week that early when you win and you're getting ready for Ohio State. But you come back lose at Virginia, have a bye week, and get ready for Ohio State. I'm telling you, it's a whole different uh, emotional approach. It really is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Coach. And All right, well, that's, uh, that's, that's good stuff. I wanted to uh, get into a little bit more specifics on USC spring football. They've had one practice, no pads, shorts, and helmets. Uh, but one of the most interesting stories to me this spring was going to be looking at the defensive line and specifically – replacing Cedric Ellis, uh, replacing Lawrence Jackson, although it's going to be difficult. You still have two starters, essentially, uh, Everson Griffin and Kyle Moore at defensive end. Um, but in the middle at that nose guard, you know, it was hard to replace Mike Patterson a few years ago, and Cedric Ellis did a great job. This year, everyone looked to Avril Spicer as kind of being that guy, and it just came out yesterday that uh, he had a bone bruise in his knee. He's going to be out for the entire spring. He may need orthospo- orthoscopic surgery. Um, they have a couple young guys. Uh, Christian Topu um, playing in there and Derek Simmons. Uh, and they actually uh, talked to Coach Holt yesterday, defensive line coach and uh, um, defensive coordinator. He said that they might even move Feely Moala over there a little bit to play around. And, you know, they, they might play some 3-4. We're going to that in a little bit. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on the importance of the nose guard. And it, it's kind of disappointing not to see Spicer in there because he looks like he has the same kind of body type maybe as a – as a Patterson to come in there and shoot gaps kind of quickly and really disrupt the opposing offenses? Well, first of all, you know, we had talked before that Spicer was the guy they were talking about to come in and do a great job this spring and, and try to replace Cedric Ellis. But like I told you, no one will, re- will replace him. Someone will come in and play that position. But Cedric just did such a great job. I would be so shocked if someone came in and did uh, the job that Ellis did because he's an All-American and going to go in the first round somewhere early. And, uh, and, and Spicer needed spring practice. And, and I, when I heard that he wasn't going to be in spring practice and uh, he had a knee problem, so and I was somewhat shocked. I, I really was because I thought he was healthy. I didn't know he was hurt. I mean, maybe you guys did, but yeah, I didn't know that. It wasn't really that. out there. It just kind of came out out of the blue. Uh, the LA Times ended up uh, going with it the day of spring practice, and it was kind of a shock to everybody. And, uh, you know, we asked Pete Carroll about it yesterday after practice, and you know, he, he was kind of disappointed, and Coach Holt was a little disappointed, too. It seems like a guy, he's the, he's the reason you have spring football. Ray Maluga, does he need spring football if he's out for No. But uh, an Averill Spicer to come in and show that he's capable of coming in and, and not replacing, like you said, but, you know, filling that position, uh, you know, doing as, as good of a job as he can. You know, he's the kind of guy that needs spring football and need those reps to get ready for fall camp. No, he does, and uh, that sort of shocked me, as you mentioned. I, I don't know when he got hurt or how he got hurt. Norm, he must have done it in the off season somewhere, because normally you would have had that corrected by now and scoped and back in rehab and, and get ready for spring ball. So that's a disappointment, I'm sure, to 
the defensive side of the ball and Pete Carroll and and, Neil, and, uh, and Holt and all the defensive staff. But, you know, you got to keep going. So that means you've got to develop someone. You've got to de- develop someone, but you really don't know what the outcome of that surgery is going to be, or you really don't know what's going to happen. So you got to try different combinations. Like you said, you try Mola, Mola over there. You try different other people over there. You move people around. You see what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you go to a, three four defense uh and you have a four three defense and a three four defense you know sometimes when you're a little short on defensive linemen inside you go to a 34 defense because you play your linebackers if you have a lot of great linebackers you go back to the 34 when you have a lot of great defensive linemen and defensive ends and you're on the 43 and that's uh, a great segue coach because uh, one of the things i want to talk to you about is they actually did move there was a position change there wasn't much different going on um at practice as far as, you know, just guys that had left for uh, for the NFL draft, obviously. But seniors has got a lot bigger during the offseason, and they're playing him at a defensive end. And they used, two years ago when they put Cushing there, they called it the elephant position. Um, essentially, it was, you know, they had you know an extra linebacker. They had Dallas Sarts and Cushing both in the same spot, and they wanted to get Cushing on the field. Uh, they, they moved him up and let him play that elephant backer spot or elephant spot. And... You know, this year they, you know, Pete Carroll talked about this a little bit. He wanted to get Clay Matthews in there, doing the drills, doing practice, learning that spot, and he worked exclusively with the defensive line uh, Tuesday at practice. Um, they said he's still going to be Cushing's backup at strong side linebacker, but he's also going to play, um, you know, this this hybrid spot where they're going to run a three-four. They used to call it elephant. Uh, now mostly they were referring it to as Leo, which is what they call their weak side defensive end. It was hard for me to get. I talked to three different people about it and I kind of got different answers from everybody. It, Carol seemed to like that the three, four was a different look for opposing offenses. And some of the other people I talked to, like coach Holt, they kind of made it sound like the plays were the same. It's really just a guy moving up and playing a different position. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. What are the main differences if you are running a, a three, four versus a four, three, and what you think when you see USC do this, is are they actually running a three, four, or is it just kind of like a four, three where they bring a linebacker up? Well, what it basically is they modify their 4-3, and they play a guy like Clay Matthews and Cushing, who are great athletes. I like Clay Matthews. I'll tell you, if you watch, he's played every position on the football team. I can't believe the guys. On special teams, weak side linebacker, he'd be, he could play the middle linebacker. He's 6-4, maybe 245. He runs well. I really like him as a player. He's yeah, a former walk-on. Former walk-on. Former walk-on. I'll tell you, you, know, you, uh, you hear me talk about him on the pregame show or other times when we do our, our – uh, USC uh, format, and, and I'll tell you, he's been a great contributor to USC football. He's the guy that always comes in and fills in a spot when someone's hurt and so on and just does a great job, sort of like Thomas Williams did. I mean, Thomas Williams is the same type of guy, the senior that just left. I mean, he played everything, and he, he did a back. great job. He did, yeah, you know what I mean? Did it all, and I th- I think what they're teaching Clay, they want to teach him this position in the spring. This is in case something happens to Brian, or in case they have to move Brian somewhere else, and they want to watch him. It's a time you teach these people these these positions, and and what the difference is this is what it is 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 they play it as a defensive end, but they can use him in coverages. 
normally you can't use Griffin. You can't use more in coverages. They have more picked off a couple of passes last year. Yeah, he I would drop back correctly. into yeah. zone, zone blitzes and stuff. He would drop back a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you remember that? He did. Yeah. Got some big catches. Almost he was got leading the team in interceptions, I believe. That's what was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, what it is, they put a guy, though, that has more of the ability there that can do that, drop back and do his coverages and, 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 and still play and still come on the pass rush and still do a combination. It's a combination type of guy. It takes an athlete to do that where he knows the defenses, he knows the coverages. And normally at your defensive end, you don't want to confuse your defensive end. You want to put him in a three-point stance. You want to get it, put his butt up in the air, and you want to say, come across the line of scrimmage and cause heck for everybody. you got pass rush, and don't go to the inside, or don't lose contain, or whatever you got going on. But in this type of a position, like when Cushing played that, that elephant position uh, that you called it, uh, and Matthews will play it, these guys can still come on a pass rush. If you remember in the Rose Bowl, I think it was Cushing got three or four sacks. Uh, I can't remember if the Rose Bowl, but it was one of those big games. And uh, as it, uh, two years ago, and Matthews can do the same. He can go in coverages, and he can rush the passer. So you put a guy there that knows the coverages, that, that you don't really take away his aggressiveness. If you've got Griffin to start thinking about, hey, i got this guy in this play, and i got to cover this, and i got to do this and that, he wouldn't be the great football player he is, because right now you wind him up and you let him go. But Matthews, you can wind him up and let him go, but yet you can unwind him and let him be in different coverages and do different things too. Now, is the main drawback when you do something like that, if they just kind of put the defensive tackle on him and run at him and they, they kind of get eliminated from the play, is that the biggest drawback when you try to run? Yeah, you know, they'll try to run at him and so on, but these are great athletes. You know, everybody, it's not any weaker than what it was. Sometimes they play him out a little bit farther and they try to get off tackle on him, kick him out and, and block down. But, you know, you tell your defensive tackle to get on the outside shoulder too so that, you know, you're not putting your, your, your linebacker, you know, on a rail where they can just blow him out of there, and your tackle helps him, plays outside and contain. You've got a backer inside. You've got the defensive tackle. So, you know, you, you never let there be a weak area in your defense. You try to cover it up with some type of, of uh, coverage or some type of support from the secondary or somewhere you have your strong safety coming up, maybe and playing a little bit stronger off tackle or whatever. But you never do allow your defense to be weak anywhere if you can. You, you, even when you blitz, you try to cover it up like when Kyle Moore dropped back and covered the flat out there. You always try to cover your zone. You don't want to be unsound. And what you hear about defense is, oh, oh that, that defense is unsound. In that alignment, they're unsound. If you're running the flat, you've got to play all day. You can't be unsound on defense. You've got to be sound everywhere. Right. Well, hey, Coach, I appreciate it. It was a great segment. And, uh, look forward to seeing you out at spring football and uh, thanks for your time hey buddy thank you very much for letting me in the huddle okay and fight on all right and uh coming up in our next segment we're going to talk to uh uscfootball.com recruiting analyst gerard martinez he was down at spring practice yesterday we'll get some of his, his thoughts and uh, also talk a little recruiting so stay tuned you're listening to the peristyle podcast with ryan abraham and the coach harvey hyde USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to USCfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. 
Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, joined by uscfootball.com recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. How are you doing today, Gerard? I'm doing much better, as we spoke. We're feeling a little under the weather. I hope you're okay now. Yeah, a little bit. I had strep throat and 104 degrees. Uh, yeah, but uh, you can downplay it. Whatever. Yeah, so a few uh, sympathy cards. <laughs> I'm not going to give you Gerard's address, but you can always send us an email at podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll uh, forward those to Gerard if you have any uh, well wishes for him. But uh, Gerard, you were out at Spring Ball yesterday taking some photos for the site. Talk to you a little bit about what you saw. And I, I think one thing we should do is go over the, uh, the hot board that we put up on the uh, site this week and uh, get your thoughts on that. The first guy, number one on the hot board was a ride, wide receiver transfer from Arkansas, Damian Williams. What'd you uh, think of Damian yesterday? I thought he played excellent. I thought he just continued a lot of the good work that he put in uh, over the off season in the winter week workouts. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that's just so consistent, you know, he's explosive has all those attributes that you would expect from a wide receiver at USC, but he's consistent. And that's really going to play a big part in this quarterback battle that we have. And I think that that's something that people are starting to realize, that, you know, the guy that can get the ball to Damian Williams and, and build that rapport with Damian Williams, it's going to go a long ways because the other receivers that USC still has, still question mark. I mean, you're still seeing guys out there dropping the occasional ball that they shouldn't drop, maybe running a route a little sloppy, um, just doing things that you don't normally see when you think of guys like Steve Smith and you think of guys like Mike Williams, Dwayne's Jarrett. There's still not a guy stepping up like that. And Damian Williams might end up being that guy. So it's whoever can kind of get the ball to him is going to be, you know, that better for it. And I think he just himself, you know, just individually played excellent. Uh, he caught everything. He looked uh, very smooth in his routes. Um, and I get explosive. Uh, there's a guy that basically he can play the slot. Um, but he's also going to be a guy that you can kind of stretch the field. So he's not just going to be an inside possession receiver, um, as you would see with a Steve Smith. He's a guy that can, I think, work the post in the sixth route and, and kind of do some different things downfield as well. Yeah, it's, it's day one, one practice. There was no pads, but if you had to pick a star of the practice yesterday, he had one on our hot board, and it was Damian Williams. And Dane definitely got him the ball. We'll talk about him a little bit later on the uh, the hot board. Um, but I think Mark Sanchez knows it too. I think he's realized that you know this guy might be the top receiver. I need to start working with him. Exactly, and and he has. You know, I think uh, one thing that we saw the last workout, the last winter workout that they had at USC, who were the two guys that were staying after uh, for a good half an hour, almost forty five minutes, throwing after the whole team had left. Do you remember who was, who it was? I remember there was Mark Sanchez. I remember there was Damian Williams. Yeah, and Ronald Johnson. Those were the three guys that stayed after threw the ball, threw some fade patterns, uh, throwing some different timing routes. And, and that, you know, it makes a difference. And I think, as you said, Sanchez realizes that even though he didn't transfer from Arkansas with Damian Williams, he's going to need this guy to win the job. Yeah, okay. So number two, uh, Damian Williams, definitely we'll see more of him this spring. Number two, is uh, it was kind of a 
a disappointment. April Spicer, um, one of the most important stories of the spring, I thought, and we talked about this in the last segment with Harvey Hyde. Spicer's definitely out. So what that means is up at the top already. Yeah. We didn't get too deep. So we we've already, already lost one. So uh, we're going to have to, we'll, we'll add somebody at the end of the, uh, when we get to number 10, we'll add someone else. Move on to number three, which was uh, Damien's high school and college teammate, Mitch Mustaine. Uh, what do you think of Mitch's performance? I thought Mitch played okay. I think that he came off maybe a little timid. Um, there were some times where he was a little, uh, got some happy feet in the pocket. I think that the quarterbacks in general, had a tough time yesterday. It seemed like they were scrambling out of the pocket a lot, and they weren't able to just bring the ball down, set their feet, and throw it. There was a lot of throws outside the pocket. Maybe you have to give a lot of credit to the to the to the corners, to the defensive backs. Um, obviously, it's it's not a very deep group at corner right now, but they seem to play really well. Uh, Sharice Wright was locking guys down left and right, and I think that maybe had something to do with it. The pass rush wasn't bad. Didn't really get to see a lot of confident throws from Mitch Mustaine yesterday. And uh, so, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure. He, he's definitely going to be a guy everybody continues to watch. You know, it's, it's a big-time position. He's in a big-time battle right now with Mark Sanchez. But in terms of performance, I think overall the quarterback position, it, it, was, a, it was a hit and miss day a little bit. Yeah, and Mustaine, actually, we talked to him a little bit after practice. Uh, he gathered around the media. Very, you know, nice young man, very well-spoken. I think the only time he felt uncomfortable is when people brought up things about Arkansas. I think he just wants to leave that kind of behind him, and understandably so. Um, he didn't really get into that too much, but he looked a little nervous to me. Uh, I, we're putting up video today, Wednesday, so by the time you, you get this, the video should be up fairly soon on uscfootball.com of all the quarterbacks working back, as you can see all of them throw Aaron Corp, Mark Sanchez, and Mitch Mustaine. I didn't think Mitch's ball looked as cleanly coming out. He wasn't spinning it quite as well as he did during the offseason workout. So I guess we'll have to we'll keep up with that. It was the first day, and uh, you know Mitch is kind of in the spotlight a little bit, but I think he's going to get better as the spring progresses. Uh, number four on the hot list is a guy coming back, C.J. Gable. Carl Jr. Carl Jr. Gable. I guess. Carl Jr. Gable. That's, that's, that's his name. Don't I, wear it out. Um, I, 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 uh, I like C.J. Uh, he, he got some light work. Wasn't in there a ton, um, but you know you see with the vision with him, uh, be able to cut back, kind of spring in and out of the hole. Um, gotten into it a little bit with Luther Brown because Luther Brown likes to hold people on nine on nine. He likes to tear at their jerseys and you know mess around with them. And CJ didn't you know take too kind to that, but I don't think any of the other running backs usually do because the, the main thing in that drill is you know hanging on to the football, and the linebackers love to come around and and poke at the football, and sometimes they poke at you more than they poke at the football to try to get the football out. So, uh, But he, he looked good. Um, didn't get to see a ton of them. It's just going to be kind of, a, I think, you know, kind of a wait for him and, and, and to see what he can really do. I don't know how he's going to get this spring. seemed like uh, Tyler and Bradford and, and obviously Johnson were kind of getting more of the bulk of reps uh, yesterday at the running back position. Yeah, I mean, the – if you look at the, the chart when they were kind of bringing guys in, it looked like Stephon Johnson came in first, and then they brought in Joe McKnight, and then they brought in C.J. Gable, um, you know, followed by Bradford, who looked really good yesterday, actually. I thought he looked the best of all the running backs. And uh, Mark Tyler, and then Broderick Green. Um, he did have a really nice cutback. I saw him do that. It looked like he's still he, – maybe he's not 100%, but he's getting pretty close if he's not. And I think he can be a big contributor to the spring. We'll see. I mean, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of bodies. They're all going to be fighting for reps. Uh, we'll have to see if he does any kind of kick returns, too, and get back gets back into that, or if Ronald Johnson is kind of completely taking that over. We'll see. 
Um, number five, we talked about a little bit, Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez, I think that position seemed to struggle a little bit just overall with getting the ball downfield and, and getting some you know clean passes away. I did think Mark at least you know in some of the the seven on seven, some of the drills where you know you know the quarterback has, has an easier path to throwing the ball. There's not so many variables involved. I thought he threw really strong, you know, and even in those moments where he had to scramble outside of the pocket, he seems to throw the ball very strong. He seemed to kind of have more behind his passes yesterday than I think Mustaine did. He seemed to, to have a little more confidence. And, and obviously he has that intangible. I mean, you see him jumping around the football field. You see him pounding around with guys. He has that chemistry, that kind of um, that, that, that other thing that you can't really describe in a quarterback yeah, that factor. you like to see as a leader. Yeah, he does. And factor, yeah. And, uh, you know, they might or might not name a starter. Uh, it depends on which coach you talk to. They've said different things. I think it would be important just – for Mark Sanchez to come out is either exactly where he was or a little bit stronger position just for the, the, the fear of fact that summer workouts, they're going to need a leader. And Mark's kind of been that guy. And if, if Mitch Mustaine, for example, was named the starter, I, you know, I think that might cause a little bit of a shakeup, but if they don't, I think the best thing would be not to name a starter, but let keep the order kind of the way it is. And Mark can kind of lead the team through the summer workouts and kind of keep everyone on the same page. And then when you start fall camp, uh, they can have a full-on battle, and you know they should know within the first week or so who's going to be the starter. Yeah, and I think that's probably exactly what's going to happen. I mean, I don't think we're going to see an actual naming of a starter out of spring ball. Um, I don't think either of those guys are really expecting that. But neither of those guys can take any plays off. They can't take any practices off either. You can't have a bad spring and think that's going to help you at all. So it's kind of a, in a way, it's it's almost a no-win situation for these guys because they know nobody's going to get the definitive pat yeah. on the back. Hey, you're the guy, but at the same time, you could lose it. So, yeah. And both um, of them will tell you that Aaron Corp's not out of it either, even though he essentially is. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, I mean, <laughs> it's, he could, uh, I've been wrong before, and he definitely could come in there, but I would think if it would be a complete shock if he was. you got to get, I'll be honest with you, and, and, I haven't watched Aaron play a whole lot. Um, you know, he's a guy that's got to get the lights on and, and be pushed to, to get that. If, if it was to the point where USC had an injury and for some reason he had to get on the field and had to play, that's where Aaron Corp shines. You know, that's going to almost, I can almost see if, if Aaron Corp becomes the starting quarterback at USC, I just imagine it's going to come because he has to come in because somebody's injured and they need and it's crunch time. He he excels under those pressure situations. He's not a a practice quarterback. Yeah, he not, was like that at Orange Lutheran in high school, where he wasn't exactly. The best he, he, he came out at camp at USC, and I'll be honest with you, he just didn't look that great. And a lot of people are going, "Oh wow, what is, you know what is USC recruiting this guy? They've got Samson Sakachi. Samson Sakachi can spiral the ball, and he has touch and all this good stuff." And I'm like, you know, hey, it's a camp. Watch this kid play when it counts. And and he has that Jake the Snake savvy crazy thing going about him where he can just seem to to carry his team you know scrambling around throwing the ball down the field that's when he does his thing so you know in these situations I, I think people are never going to be overly impressed with what Mark, uh, what Aaron Corp you know does in practice yeah all right well Aaron Corp's not even on our hot board so but we, that's a little bonus coverage there six another <laughs> kind of disappointing guy for the spring is Butch Lewis uh He's hobbled a little bit. He's he got a little some reps yesterday, but uh, it looked like for the most part they had uh, Charles Brown starting at left tackle. 
um, instead of Butch Lewis. And then they actually had Nick Howell playing right tackle. Uh, Howell actually moved around and played right tackle, left tackle. He played some center. They really moved, especially the right side of the offensive line on Tuesday. They really moved them around uh, with Butch Lewis kind of being hurt and uh, also Zach Heber being injured a little bit. So I'm not sure if Butch Lewis is going to stay on our hot board if, uh, unless he kind of uh, gets some more reps for the rest of the spring. Yeah, and to the ire of Pat Rule, who's, uh, you know, looking around uh, defensive line now for left tackles, and the defensive line coaches are, are trying to hide left tackles. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's always, it always seems to be that kind of thing with the offensive line and the depth and, you know, who's in there. I mean, then they got Matt Meyer coming in, and, and that was good. That, you know, got him in early so he can kind of contribute to depth. And uh, he looked pretty good out there yesterday. He didn't really know what he was doing. And everybody kind of tried to figure out who's 66. He's a white kid, 66. It's not Shiloh. Uh, you know, who's this other kid? He's and, tall. Uh, he's really tall. He's really tall. But, you know, he's got good knee bend, and he's, uh, he, he, he's got fairly good power. And you, when the guy's that tall, you really always you fear leverage. You know, especially if you're playing on the interior, it's like, oh, goodness, can this kid get low enough to get under the little 6'2", 6'1", defensive tackles? And he's got good knee bend, and he's got good power on his butt, and he gets after it. Um, I think he's going to be pretty good. It's just kind of a matter of kind of understanding what's going on. At this point, he's just getting used to practice. You know, I mean, afterwards he was as compl- – you know, I talked to him a little bit, and he was just, you know, jaw drop going, wow, that was my first practice, and it was cool, but I have no idea what just happened. So <laughs> he's got he's to get in the flow of things. Uh, but Martin Coleman is another guy you didn't mention in there, um, playing a little right tackle. He's a guy that uh, I think he can contribute. He's got to make sure he stays in good shape. But he's got the body, at least. You know, I mean, we talk about these guys like Reardon and, and Nick Howell. There's a lot of guys in there that physically you question, is he going to be ready? But Mark Coleman has that body already, and he just has to get the mental part of the game down. Um, but tell you what, he's not, 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 he's, a dumb, he's not a dumb kid here. He's, uh, he just uh, won uh, the student, I think, athlete student of the month uh, for February or something uh, at USC. So, you know, Martin Coleman's doing pretty good in the classroom. Hopefully he can do pretty good with the X's and O's of the game. Yeah, he was doing some sculpting or something, too. He had some artist thing, which was uh, he was kind of recognized for, which was cool. And Coach Rule probably a little happier when he gets Matt Khalil and Tyron Smith and uh, a couple of other big tackles when they come in this summer and work out with the team. But He'll be happy, but then he'll also because he hates freshmen and he wants them <laughs> to be great right away. <laughs> and, he, and he has no, no, no patience for them, so it's a, it's a weird thing. He, he loves the talent, and then at the same time, he hates um, he hates that you know they're not just great and and know things right away you know it's that yeah. that, that NFL thing the NFL mentality you yeah. know he, he's a great guy he's a great coach I think and uh, I think a lot of the players like him and he's fun to talk to for the media so we we have a fun time with him uh, let's move on number seven uh, we're going to move to the linebacker spot Malcolm Smith uh, with Keith Rivers leaving a, a spot open on the weak side Kulka Mayava was he going to be the guy coming in he was probably the favorite. But he's hobbled. He had that wrist injury and uh, thumb injury, so it looked like Malcolm Smith would probably get some time there. But actually, Luther Brown was playing some weak side linebacker yesterday in practice. Yeah, we'll get to Luther probably later. He might be a good candidate to get into the uh, the hot board here. Uh, but with Malcolm, you know, Malcolm continues to impress. He's a good player. I think he's a guy that comes in and obviously he has the name, and you think of Steve Smith. I think really all that brings is that he's a kid that's got awareness and he's got ball skills. And and when you see some of the most impressive linebackers that have played at USC, they're guys that tend to have, you know, real skills at other positions. And and with with Malcolm, he's a guy who played running back in high school. 
he kind of did it all, and you like to have a, a guy that's versatile at the linebacker position who's not just the big guy who's going out there to bang people. And, and, and Malcolm's that guy. He kind of plays with awareness, plays with good instinct, has a good nose for the ball, but he's also very, very athletic. So he, he's, he's coming to the mix, and you know it's a guy that you can't necessarily sleep on. He, he really did some good things last year, and Pete Carroll couldn't say enough good things about him um, you know, all through the course of, of him playing in the scout team last year. Yeah, I think uh, Coach Norton likes him too, so we'll see. It, uh, there are kind of some movement going on we talked about in the previous segment with Clay Matthews kind of moving over. So you know, just keep in mind it's spring ball and people are going to move around, but I think it's going to be a, this spring ball is a good time for a guy like Malcolm Smith because he will get some attention. He will get a lot of reps, especially with uh, Kaluka being hurt. And I think he can really make a name for himself. So he might even be moving up the hot board. Uh, exactly. He just wants to catch the eye of the coaches at this point. I mean, that's kind of what spring is for a lot of these guys. Catch the eye, football camp, you already have that built-in interest from the coaching staff, and then they want to play you more in the fall camp when it really counts. Right. All right, let's uh, move on number eight, Rojo, Ronald Johnson. Uh, what do you think of him? Excellent. Um, he, he's still playing well. He's still playing like, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the real threat of the receiving core in terms of downfield. Um, works extremely hard every drill. He seems to be trying to get the most out of it, um, trying to work on his blocking a little bit. I saw that yesterday. Uh, but he looked like he was pretty good. He had a little more hands, a little more feet in his blocking, not so much just trying to be a body in the way of guys. Um, I, I liked what I saw from him. He caught the ball well, um, kind of set the pace for a lot of the receivers and drills. Yeah, and uh, you know, like we said in the, on the hot board on the, we- on the website, uscfootball.com, He's got to be that deep threat. He's got to come in there because there's guys that could come in there and be that deep threat. Damian Williams could be a lot of things. He could also stretch the field. And uh, Trayvon Patterson's coming back. So that's kind of the, the niche that Ronald Johnson has. They haven't been able to connect on those huge 50-yard bombs. And, and Rojo seems to be the perfect guy to be able to come in there and do that. And if, if he can't do that, it's going to make his value less. And he's going to see fewer reps, I think, on the field. Exactly. And, and then he'll move the corner. <laughs> that's that's what happened. So, I mean, he, he has plenty of value. I mean, if it, if it doesn't happen for him at receiver, yeah, he can do it at uh, the quarterback position where they've got three guys right now. Yeah, for the record, no one has talked about moving to corner. Um, you know, no. Josh, Josh Pinkard was playing there almost exclusively uh, on Tuesday. It looks like he's going to get a lot of reps at corner as opposed to safety. But you're right, they don't have much for depth on uh, that side of the ball in the secondary. There's really talented guys, but there's no one really kind of behind them. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe by the end of spring, a guy like Rojo or Gable or one of the running backs ends up moving over there. But at this point, Ronald Johnson's uh, still got to be one of the best receivers. I mean, in, in performance-wise, in the workouts, and, and just yesterday when you watch them running 7-on-7 seven seven and, and getting drills done, he gets it done. He, he, he does it uh, cleanly. You know, I mean, it doesn't – that one of those guys where the coaches have to go over with them, you know, a few different times as to what to do or, or, or you're not doing this hard enough. He always seems to go through it as hard as he can and, and accurately, you know, first time around. Yeah. All right. Well, number nine is a very interesting uh, player, really nice kid, Mark Tyler, coming off his uh, leg injury. A lot of depth, obviously, at running back. Do you think he's going to be able to crack the top three guys? I, you know, it's it's so tough because there's so much depth. Um, in terms of his, his performance yesterday, I thought he played really well. Um, he good vision, uh, saw the holes really well, um, didn't get an incredible amount of reps. I like to see him more out of the backfield as a receiver. Uh, that's something that we didn't get to really see. Saw a little bit of Joe McKnight yesterday, uh, a little bit of uh, Stephon Johnson as well. Didn't get to see a lot of Mark Tyler. That's 
I think, uh, an area where he can really shine. And and obviously blocking. And, and I think, you know, yesterday is kind of hard to, to, to gauge and to, to evaluate because they don't have pads on, no any pads, pads yeah. on at all. So with blocking, I mean, you know, these guys are, are not really doing it so much. They're kind of, it's it's almost like they're, they're, uh, they're shadow boxing a little bit. But um, but I thought he played well in terms of 9-on-9, nine nine, and when he got the ball, uh, he looked like he was running pretty well and, and looked like he was running healthy. That's the main thing with Mark Tyler is, is his leg and, and is he really confident in running into football. And, and, and then, you know, the other part of that is going to be getting hit running the football. Yeah, I mean, he looked fairly confident to me, but like you said, there was no pads yet, so it'll be interesting this weekend and they put the pads on. We'll get to see a little bit more from all these running backs and uh, just instead of guys just sprinting through the line, seeing what they can do when they get chucked a little bit and hit on the, at the line there. And uh, number 10 is a, a guy I really like, and I think he's going to come in and do really well, is uh, Anthony McCoy, really athletic, big tight end. I've had a couple of people on the sidelines go, who's that? And they're like, oh, that's Anthony McCoy. And I think, you know, it's going to be hard to replace Fred Davis, but I think he's going to be able to do a pretty good job of that. Yeah, he did uh, really well yesterday. I saw him catch. Most of the balls that I saw him catch were in drills. Um, didn't see a lot of, of, of him getting the ball during uh, the team sessions, but caught the ball extremely well, looked good in his routes. Um, he's, you know, coming off, you know, he had that ankle injury early in, in fall camp that kind of kept him out some of the year. Uh, he's fully healed from that. Um, and actually, actually, I believe that ankle injury, we, we were talking about it with him, and he was saying that he actually got hurt in a basketball game, and uh, he uh, was going up for a rebound, and he ended up on Nick Howell's foot, and it twisted his ankle. And I'm thinking, you got injured by Nick Howell standing still. That's like getting hit by a parked car. And uh, <laughs> so he kind of kind of laughed about that, and you know, but he's uh, he's coming to play. I mean, this is a guy who's got a ton of potential. Played receiver in high school, was a big six four, two hundred forty pound receiver. Um, a lot of people looked at him as a Mike Williams type. Now he moves in, plays tight end. Um, he's been playing the last two years, and it's really a matter of him just getting down the nuances, the blocking, uh, making sure that he gets out of his breaks well. He's not quite as quick as Fred Davis, especially Fred Davis last year after he lost some weight. Um, you know, became really an agile, kind of a quick uh, tight end that got in and out of his routes really quick and was a great dump-down guy. He's a check-down guy. So Anthony McCoy has to become that, you know, not just a big body out there. He has to become a guy that gets works in space, finds the open zones, and really becomes kind of a tactician in terms of getting open. Yeah, and uh, Pete Carroll mentioned uh, the tight end position specifically after practice yesterday on our little media huddle, and he really likes Anthony McCoy and Red Ellison as far as pass catching goes. Um, he thought they were both great pass catchers, and I think blocking is the one thing they need to work on. And one thing we mentioned in the on the website is uh, competition will really heat up when Blake Gales arrives this summer. But uh, we get to the last position, so we, we kick out April Spicer, not because of his performances, because he's hurt. We need someone else on the hot board. I think a great candidate you mentioned is Luther Brown, guy that came in. He's super fired up. I think he's almost taking over that, that Thomas Williams role of being really fiery and and versatile and playing a def- bunch of different positions. He, I think he lined up at every linebacker spot yesterday. What, what are your overall thoughts on Luther Brown? I think that's a guy with just a mountain of talent. I mean, he came in with Ray Maluga. He came in with Brian Cushing. He came in with Kaluka Maive. It was a great linebacker class. This was a guy who was thought to be maybe the second best guy in it. You know, a lot of people were thinking, hey, this guy's a, a top four-star guy, maybe a five-star guy. He's athletic. Plays a lot like Ray Lewis, where's that number 52? 
he has all that athletic ability. I mean, there's there's no physically there's not many guys that you go out there at the, in the football field and see more impressively than Luther Brown. But the issue has always been mental, you know, mental game, understanding the nuances of the game, making calls, reading the gaps, reading the blocks. That's what he's got to do. Now he's an upperclassman and he's been around the program. If he can stay healthy, and that's the other big thing, staying healthy, not having any constant little injuries that will keep him out of spring practice, that will keep him out of, of you know summer workouts or whatever, and he can stay in the mix, he's a guy that could really seriously contend for that weak side spot. If the, if the coaches go ahead and let him go after it, he's fast enough to play it. He's, uh, he's bigger. He's kind of that bigger linebacker that Ken Norton always likes. You know, Kaluka is going to have some competition on his hands because he's going to be there with the guy that's just experienced as he is. Yeah, and he is absolutely jacked. You look at that guy and wow. I mean, he, he definitely has worked out this offseason. He worked out every offseason. He's oh, he, I think pretty much six months after he arrived on campus, he looked jacked. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you can, you can look like Tarzan and play like Jane and you've got to be able to kind of bring it and, and have some type of uh, results and produce. At this point, he's really done so. I think the reason why we're more excited about him now, though, um, having said that, is that he did play a little last year. He did get in there when they had some guys go down. They had to Clay Matthews, and they had injuries, obviously, to Brian Cushing. And even Thomas Williams was hurt at some point last year. So they had some mixing going on there. And Luther Brown came in, and he played well. He played consistently, kind of surprisingly well at certain spots. So I think, you know, that's a guy now all of a sudden it's like, hey, he's not just on special teams. He's actually played some games, has some playing time under his belt, and he has produced in those situations. So now you just hope, hey, you know, stay healthy and continue to kind of develop mentally. He has all the physical tools to, to be a great player. All right. Well, Gerard Martinez, the USCfootball.com recruiting analyst, thanks again for your time this week. Glad you're feeling better. I'm feeling better. And, uh, Get out there Thursday, and we'll see uh, a continuation of what we saw <laughs> yesterday. And I think by Sunday, we should be in full pads, so it should be exciting. It'll be great. And uh, coming up in the next segment, we have the USC Campus Crawl. We're going to hear from USCfootball.com's Erica Barton. She's talked to uh, some of the players after practice. We'll hear from her after this break. Stay tuned for more of the Parastyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. This is our third and final segment of the show. And in this segment, we go over all of USC athletics in the USC Campus Crawl. Baseball. The USC baseball team had a promising start to their week, taking two out of three games to ranked Arizona at Dado Field. Unfortunately, they followed that up with two straight losses to Loyola Marymount. Next up for the Trojans is a weekend trip to Tempe, Arizona to take on the number one ranked Arizona State Sun Devils. Basketball. The USC men's basketball team season ended rather abruptly with a first round loss to the Kansas State Wildcats in the NCAA tournament. 
Next up, the Trojans have to find out what their underclassmen are going to do. Taj Gibson, O.J. Mayo, and Devon Jefferson should announce soon if they're going to stay in school or go to the NBA. Tennis. The USC women's tennis team is ranked number 10 in the country and improved to 13-4 after a 6-1 win over Tuesday. The women of Troy have a busy week, hosting Fresno State on Thursday and Oregon at Mark's Tennis Stadium on Friday. Golf. The USC men's golf team is playing extremely well and has even taken the lead at the 2008 Collegiate Championships in Georgia this week. The Trojans lead the tournament with a 5-over par score, followed closely by Alabama with just two strokes back, and Oklahoma State and Georgia Tech in third. Football. Hey guys, this is Erica Barden bringing you spring football as part of your dose of campus crawl. So as the March Madness continues in basketball, it begins at Howard Jones Field. The media madness, that's for sure. Everyone wants to know, is it Mark? Is it Mitch? Could it even be me? How do you replace All-American defenders like Keith Rivers and Cedric Ellis? Well, you don't. But everyone came out to see SC try on Tuesday with the start of spring ball. As reporter notepads were flung open, ex-players and moms were schmoozing, and Pete was running around in his typical white on khaki, Mark Sanchez looked in control and ready to lead the depth chart at QB, and clearly is up to speed with his how-to-handle-the-media handbook. More than anything, as much as Mitch and I compete, we're competing against the defense, number one. So um, it's not so much Mitch and me um, or Corp. But, you know, it's us, you know, moving the ball with the offense as a unit. So, um, and I think we all three did a great job of that today. And, and everybody was real positive and upbeat. It was a productive day. Meanwhile, Mitch Mustaine was simply experiencing the circus that is SC practice. Talking about the day, I love it, you know, when everybody's around. It kind of, you know, I think it's an incentive for all of us. Uh, it gives us a little more of a boost, you know, to go out and play hard and, and you know, a little more of a game atmosphere. I think that was excitement in his voice. Not sure. And while that transfer from Arkansas may be taking a back seat, Damian Williams is wasting no time in showing he learned a thing or two about running routes and grabbing passes out in the SEC. And uh, Sanchez sure took notice. Mark, what do you think about your new catch buddy? He's fast. You saw that. He's got great hands. He's quick. And more than anything, he's just—he's—he's he's a natural. You know, he, he can—he can find windows in the defense and and um, you know feel where the quarterback's eyes are. And he's got great spatial awareness, so he's, uh, he's going to be a great tool for us. And Pete, how are you feeling about the new offensive toy at your disposal? He looks a little bit different than some of the other guys that have been out here. And, and uh, he did earlier, you know, at the bowl time and when we were practicing. And even again today, uh, he's got a kind of a fluid kind of movement to him that looks a little different than guys we've had out here. So Moving on to the other part of the offense, the O-line, which apparently no one knows anything about. According to Pat Rule, he says it's wide open. Sometimes I get the feeling that there's so much lip service by the coaching staff at SC that I would have a chance at left tackle. But in contrast, Pete Carroll was an open book. What we're doing is we're getting them early work in practice and then condition, conditioning them to catch up with uh, the other guys and just reassess it here a week from now and see where they are. Right. By open book, I mean open about his commitment to playing the media game better than anybody in the business also known as the NCAA. And rock on with that, Pete, because apparently you've been mildly successful. In actual news of the O-line, Butch Lewis and Zach Heberer are injured. Shocker. Must be a rite of passage. So they join the ranks of other O-linemen who are trying to get ready for fall camp, where they will probably then get injured. 
trying to get ready for the 2008 season. Well, thank God the Trojans have more options than pretty much anyone with a March Madness bracket at the O-line. And Christopher O'Dowd agreed that no one, including himself, had positions on the line locked up. That's code for, you better be damn sure that I'm getting in there after I was the first ever freshman to start at center. Ever in Trojan history. Okay, on the other side of the ball, defense. The plan to spice up the role at nose tackle just cooled down a little bit. Avril Spicer, who's intended to step in for the graduated Cedric Ellis, is suffering from a bone bruise and may need arthroscopic surgery. So this means Feely Mwala might have to take a brief rest from the defensive tackle position to help out at nose. And Christian Tupo might be lending a hand there as Avril rehabs that injury. Who, by the way, is vying for the most likely to rival Troy Palomalo in hair volume under and out of the helmet. And a circus wouldn't be a circus without an elephant. Brian Cushing is handing over that role from two years ago to Clay Matthews Jr. But apparently he's not exactly an elephant, as the coaches are referring to his position at backup linebacker on the strong side as the Leo. And so since this is the name that is used to describe the weak side defensive end, we can just assume that the coaching staff got a little too crazy with terms during their X's and O meetings this winter. Nick Holt, settle down with that vernacular. You're scaring people and confusing journalists. Well, that's it for this quick report on SC football. I will be bringing you more updates on the SC squad throughout spring ball. So stay tuned at uscfootball.com. This is Erica Barden signing off. And since I'm no stranger to shameless self-promotion, you can always check me out at my other podcast at laangelscast.com. What is that, you ask? Well, the LA Angels are this professional baseball team. They're the other team in LA. Uh, They were that Orange County ball club that sold out to capitalize on the marketing value of having LA in front of your name. And uh, I talk about them weekly. So you can check it out on laangelscast.com or iTunes for free. So that'll be it for this report from Howard Jones. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.